is the Electile Dysfunction Podcast with Ashton Cohen. Way more interesting than anything you're listening to on NPR. Probably less exciting than what you're watching on OnlyFans. Bruh. We're going to talk about the issues that really matter. Our country, our economy, the Fed, QE, GDP, BTC, NFTs, AOC, the CCP, Cardi B, Ow. Yeezy, Yellow Socks, Iran, Joe Biden's dementia, Come on, man. and probably sex robots. We stand for a free and open debate and exchange of ideas. And if you disagree with anything we talk about, you are a racist and no better than Hitler. What? Let's get started. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Electile Dysfunction Podcast with Ashton Cohen. I'm Ashton Cohen. Today, we're going to discuss a topic that is personal to me, but it's also one of the most discussed and important in all geopolitics, world affairs. That is the nation of Iran. And Iran is a vitally important country to understand, not only because it's currently run by one of the world's most repressive regimes, not only because it brutalizes millions of its own people, not only because it's responsible for the deaths of thousands of Americans by virtue of the IEDs that is applied to jihadists in Iraq during the Iraq war, not only because it may be on the verge of acquiring nuclear weapons, which it'll then be able to leverage to spread more terror around the world. Again, this is the world's leading sponsor of state terrorism, of state-based terrorism. And that's best case scenario. Let's just assume they don't use it. But Iran also serves as a case study of how a few people can turn a stable, prosperous country filled with wonderful, peaceful people into a medieval hellscape in a matter of months. And Freedom, civilization, it's something that a lot of us take for granted. Uh, a lot of immigrants who come to this country know better, and they don't. My mother is a refugee from Iran, understands this. Our guest, who I'm about to introduce, understands this. So I'm joined here today by Monda Zand Irvin. She wrote a great book detailing basically a lot of the history of Iran and how we got here, with emphasis on the history of women's rights in Iran. It's entitled The Ladies' Secret Society, History of the Courageous Woman of Iran. And she is the head of the Alliance for Iranian Women. So, Amanda, first of all, thanks so much for being with me. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Pleasure. Uh, so I want to start off here. Um, as, you, as you mentioned in your book, to the extent that people in the West have any knowledge of Iran, uh, it's generally in a negative sense because of the regime who controls the country is the one that makes the news. Give, give us an overview of the circumstances that led to the rise of the current regime in Iran. Is this a movement that started hundreds of years ago? Is it something that started basically since the installation of, of the Shah of Iran or his father? Um, and when you, when you sort of go through that sort of history of what led to, to this regime uh, being in power... Um, maybe you can draw a contrast between Islamic clergy and, you know, the people of Iran and the Iranian culture. Let me start from midway. Uh, the beginning of 20th century, Iran and Islam. You know, Iran geographically is in the, in the uh, sort of middle of the way. I mean, all kinds of uh, roads from west to the east has gone through Iran. And uh, so... We have been occupied for the first 1,200 years. Iran was a very peaceful 
great uh, intelligent uh, country. And uh, we were Zoroastrian in Iran, which uh, the main canon is good thoughts, good words, and good deeds. And uh, so until uh, 7th century, when the Arabs attacked Iran and uh, destroyed the whole country, burned down universities, uh, sciences, uh, destroyed the whole country. In, in our history, it says when the Arabs came and took everything they could take and whatever they couldn't take, burnt down, destroyed. This is what our history says. Islam and Arabic language was forced on us. But uh, as we are Iranians, uh, we fought against their culture. We did not want to uh, accept uh, their culture. And we had one man who is now uh, one of the five most important um, literary person along with uh, the, the European literary people. Uh, so he wrote a book called uh, The Book of Kings, Shahnameh. And uh, in this, he wrote it in Persian language, where the Arabs had forbidden us to speak our language. But he wrote it in Persian. And at the beginning of the book, he says, at this year of 30th, I am proud to bring back our mother language into Farsi. So we did not become Arab like great other countries like Egypt became Arab country and Arabic became their language. So, uh, and the rest of the world at that time. So um, we remained Iranian. And the Islam that was forced on us after the Arabs were defeated and they left, actually, we got our culture back. And uh, Islam in Iran became Sufism in the name of Islam, which was also peaceful. And 15th century, the Turks from Anatolia, the Safavid, who were Shiites, have become problematic for the Sunni emperors of the Ottoman Empire, so they sent them towards Iran. So the Shiite Safavids came to Iran and took over Iran easily, and they brought Shiism with them, and they forced Shiism on Iranian. They forbid the practice of all other languages, all other religions, and uh, no Zoroastrianism, no Christianity, no Judaism, nobody was allowed to have any religion but Shiaism, Islam. And because we were living under, an, we were occupied land, that was the first time the, that Iranian women became properties of men. Because until then, Iranian women were equal to men. Iranian women have been kings, Shah, Iranian women have been commander of the armed forces of Iranian military. Uh, Iranian women have completely been equal and there was no thought even that women are different from or separate or different from men. So 
for the first time, the Shiite clergy, they forced that it, women are, they are saying it today, 21st century, that the clergy are saying, Shiite clergy are saying that women, God created women, they're animals. They're not human. But because they were created for the pleasure of men, but because they wanted men not to be afraid of this animal and enjoy using it, they made them look like human. So this is what the Shiite clergy believes. This is, so this is what's taught by the, um, the yes. clergy that's in control of Iran. Absolutely. This, this is a part of the Shiite but Sharia law, again, family Sharia law, they call it. And this Sharia law believes that women uh, are not human. Allah created animals for the pleasure of men, but they made them look pleasant so men would enjoy using them. So uh, the, the whole issue is Iranian women have always hated the Shiite clergies. Right. Shiaism, and uh, we have fought it completely and totally. And because of the geography of Iran, Iran is mountainous, half of it is mountainous, the other half is, is flat and not mountainous. The areas that are mountainous has always been sort of preserved, the culture, the Iranian culture, because the other Occupiers didn't know how to, how to get into the mountains and valleys of Zuckers Mountains, that area, and didn't bother. They only uh, sort of pushed their, uh, their ideologies on, the, on where the cities, urban, urban areas. Then they, when we had 100 years, 17th century, that uh, the Safavids were defeated. And then we have one dynasty, the Zan dynasty, who the, the leader never called himself the Shah or the king. And uh, he called himself the advocate of the people, like president. So anyway, he became the advocate of the people and Iran became very peaceful. We were back to our own culture. And, uh, and even a lot of Europeans who traveled to Iran in those times, they went back and they said, we need a democracy like Iran. You have to go see how they run. And this is 17th Their century? Country. This is 17th century, yes. Nine, uh, 1750 to 1798. Okay. Right. But then we had tribal Tatars uh, who were like the revolutionary gods of today's uh, hmm. clergy in Iran. They were that kind of a thing, the warriors for the Safavid Turks when they ruled Iran because hmm. they couldn't get Iranians fighting their own people. And Tatars are are they that's from like Tatarstan currently today like near uh, near Kazan and Russia is that they're like um, uh, Tajikistan northern Tajikistan I see okay they were yeah Turkmenistan and Tajikistan you know when they uh, when the Mongols came down mm -hmm. and they went westward like Turkey was Anatolia their language was not Turkish they were the same race of people as Iranians and as Europeans the same the same mm -hmm. people but then. Uh, it's the language that um, the occupiers, aggressors, mm -hmm. always, first thing they do is their language. They right. try to change Implement the language. Mm -hmm. They try to, yes. So 
that's why all those countries who are not Arab uh, or speak Arab and everybody says that they are Arab, North Africa, they're Africans. They are not Arab genetically, DNA, it's not Arab, they are African. Uh, so anyway, then these Tartars took over and um, they, they brought back Shiaism, Shiite clergies, because they were a part of the culture. They brought back the Shiite clergies and then the domination of the, what we call uh, uh, the king and clergy ruled together, Shiite clergies and the dictatorial occupiers of Iran. Mm-hmm. And so um, there we were again. Uh, we went back to Shiaism, to Sharia law, to dictators. They, they established also not only uh, discrimination against women, again, back to discrimination against all the other religions. Nobody is allowed to be anything but Shiite, and so on and so forth. So um, somewhere in 18... 1880-85, Iranian women revolted, and men also, they revolted against them and, and the Shiite clergies. And one person assassinated the king, the Qajar king, one Iranian. And then the constitutional revolution began for 20 years. There was uh, uprising after uprising in 1906. Finally, the last king who was on his deathbed signed the constitutional uh, system for Iran. But before that, 1901, the king had signed a contract with Darcy for uh, 50 years of oil in Iran. What's Darcy? Iranian oil. Darcy was the man, the, the British man, businessman, who discovered oil in Iran. Okay. And considering the fact that we always were, for about 150 years, we were kind of sandwiched between the British from Persian Gulf and the Russians from the North. Mm-hmm. So they had divided Iran into half. Northern half was under the, the Russian uh, control and southern half was under the British control. And uh, the contract with the British for oil was $46,000 a year goes to the king for 50 years. Contract for every, any oil that the British want to take from Iran. Yeah. While in, in Iran, people were hungry. There was a system of uh, feudalism in Iran. Mm -hmm. Uh, Farmers worked and lived in poverty. And uh, all the income went to the owners who are either clergy or member of the Qajar family. Mm -hmm. And then they lived under Sharia law. The British took whatever they wanted at any time they wanted. The French came and took all Iranian historical heritage. They put them on a boat and took them. Nobody even bothered to ask, where are you taking them? Who you are? Nothing. And the Russians kept taking bits and pieces of Iranian lands in the north, Central Asia today. So you have a let me stop there. So you have a agreement, a coalition between um, a corrupt, incompetent monarchy who's selling out their own country's resources to European uh, interests and European imperialists, but in order to keep power and um, keep people in line within the country, they team up with the Islamic clergy to sort of keep the people down. Um, and this is kind of like a all three sides kind of profit. The king gets his money. Uh, the royal family gets this lavish lifestyle. The Europeans get the resources. The Islamic clergy get to have control over the country uh, and implement Sharia law. Uh, and then everyone else pretty much loses. Yes. Mm-hmm. So. so after the constitution revolution, the clergy said, the only, first of all, they had Russians to bomb the parliament. The first parliament that the constitutionalists established in Iran, mm-hmm. The clergy talked to their friends in Russia, Soviet Union at that time, and asked them to bomb the parliament. What year was that? that? 
That was 1909. 1909 or 1919? Yes, 1909. Okay. Yes. So wait, that's pre-Soviet Union. Yes. Right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. 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 So that was like the, uh, yeah, Alexander, Alexander. I presume that was 1911 when they mm -hmm. bombed the parliament. Okay. So two people, members of the constitution, uh, they, they rode horse and buggy to Anatolia, to Turkey, to the United States Embassy. And they asked for uh, help to establish a system of governance like the United States has. Uh, President Taft sent 11 people to Iran. Uh, economists, education, lawyers, and you know, different people to come and they established a system of government in Iran. But the British didn't want that. The Russians didn't want that. The clergy didn't want that. But they couldn't formally and out, you know, fight against it. Mm -hmm. What they did was they tried to create havoc. And then the First World War came to Iran. Mm -hmm. And the Russians, in both wars, they came to Iran and destroyed completely Iran to take military support, everything, from Persian Gulf, from the south of Iran, all the way through Iran to the north to go to Russia, to help Russia. And 5 million Iranians died as a result during the First World War at the end of First World War. Mm -hmm. And nobody ever talked about it. And uh, the British have never talked about it. They have said there is not the United States. I believe that how exactly through through uh, died of hunger, hunger. Okay. And, and disease. Okay. Hunger and yeah, disease. That's that's yeah. the impact Russians usually have throughout history. Yeah. And so anyway, but the whole issue is that um, Iran had a friend in America. United States defended Iran after the, uh, the First World War from the British. America was not very happy with what the British were doing in Iran. And they were they protected Iran against the Russians and the British both. Anyway, so um, the fight continued, uh, the end of the war, and the, the last Qajar Shah didn't want to live in Iran. He was a young man. He wanted to be living in Paris, you know, with the money that Iran was, right. he was taking from Iran. And so, and there was uh, hunger, there was famine, and uh, Iran was, uh, Iran was nothing, nothing. There was poverty, illiteracy, and the whole population was about 9 million, that country is so big. Mm -hmm. And so what the con constitutionalists had to do is to fight. So the parliament decided, okay, we're gonna get rid of the Qajars, no more Qajars. Okay, you go to France. So you're not coming back again, end of Qajar dynasty. And they asked the prime minister who was one of the soldiers during the constitutional revolution. They asked him who was prime minister, he was picking the country together and building a little army, military and all that. So ask him to become the Shah. That was the first talent. Mm -hmm. And- um, That's, and that's Reza Shah, as they refer to him. Reza Shah, okay. yes, yes, yes. He was from north of Iran, Mazandaran, and he's, he had not much family, maybe half a dozen members of his family. Mm -hmm. and, um, and then he became the Shah. And- um, Now and we're in what started, year are we in? Uh, we're talking about 1924. Okay. And, um, and he, he started rebuilding Iran. Mm -hmm. He built, um, he supported the women who were making, had established schools in their own houses. And, um, and they were renting these spaces to make school to educate children. But the clergies were setting fire on the schools. So the women brought the children into their home, made their houses into schools. They would go to the children's homes, bring them into their own home. And while the children were, there, were, were getting educated, one woman with a, with a rifle hanging on her back was walking around the house making sure no clergy thug would come to hurt the children and they would take them back at the end of the school day. This is how um, 
you know, the women of Iran were fighting against the Kurdish. Mm -hmm. And then Reza Shah became, when he became the Shah, at that time, Kurdish also said they had the right to be in the parliament. So being in the parliament, they would not allow anything that they didn't like that would diminish their power and influence. Mm -hmm. They would stop it, which one of the issues was the women's right. Right. So they went to, the, to Reza Shah. They went and held their hands in front on the, on the street in front of the Reza Shah's car coming. Mm -hmm. And when the car stopped and the Shah rolled the window down and said, ladies, what can I do for you? They went in and gave him a letter saying, look, we can't, you know, the clergy don't let us and they beat us and they beat our husbands, wives, brothers. Mm -hmm. they, they are uh, they're not letting us, we don't want to wear a hijab. Mm -hmm. So Reza Shah, you know, said, I will respond to your letter once I read it. Two weeks later, he sent him a letter and said, ladies, I understand what you are saying. It's absolutely necessary that you are 50% of the population of this country. You have a share in making this country great. So I will take care of it. So because the clergy were using thoughts to prevent women to wear hats, mm -hmm. they, they wanted to wear hats instead of, because they, they called them kolofarangi, the French were called Farangi. Mm -hmm. So because the French hat in those times were you know, popular and fashionable, Iranian women wanted to wear color Farangi, but the clergy wouldn't let them. The thugs would beat them up or they would threaten their husbands and their men. You know. So um, Reza Shah said, okay, don't worry about it. Reza said, I will give me a few months time. I'll take care of it. And then a few months later, he told, he authorized the police that we had never had police before, right. but he established a police force. He told the police, whoever woman comes out into the city with a tight hijab, take the hijab off their head. Mm -hmm. To sort of teach the, the clergy right. that if you do that to mm -hmm. women who don't want to wear hijab, I will stop you too. Mm -hmm. So that became one of the biggest uh, accusations against Reza Shah, that he was, he was a terrible, terrible dictator. He forced the women to not wear hijab. That was not him. That was the women who asked him to support them. Right. Against the clergy. Yeah, so lay it out for a second. So uh, Reza Shah, uh, obviously the, the predecessor to um, Muhammad Reza Shah, his, his son, who was, as many people know, overthrown in, in 1979. So this is the father, the, the start of the Pahlavi dynasty. So he's basically coming in. He's trying to westernize, secularize, in a sense, reform, bring this backwards, uh, sort of um, really poor country into the modern world, into the 20th century, right. to be able to compete, exactly. uh, to, you know, to be able yes. to have things like rights for females and, and, and rights of yeah. uh, being able to- Education for children, mm -hmm. food, economy. He built roads, trains. Uh, he, uh, he built a, con a country that was uh, 9 million hungry, poor, and illiterate. In less than 50 years, in 1979, Iran was totally progressive. Right. Economically, we were perfect. Mm -hmm. Education, I got my education in California, University of Southern California, through a uh, uh, scholarship from Pahlavi Foundation. Mm -hmm. Not only me, many, many other young Iranians. And every time Shah went anywhere, he, was, he would have a meeting with all these Iranian students. Ask them, do you have everything you need? What are you studying? Many this field, this, the other field, and all of that. And even in villages, we had schools, we had judges, women had become judges. We had three women senators. We had 28 members, parliamentarian, women parliamentarian in Iran. In the, in the cabinet, we had three women in 1979. One of them who was the secretary of education was my high school principal. 
that they killed, the Islamic regime uh, killed her because she was not willing to, uh, to uh, uh, apologize. Iran was very progressive in 1979. And uh, we had free healthcare, we had free education all the way up to PhD, uh, everything paid by the government. We had businessmen who were flourishing all over the country. They were doing business, uh, um, trade everywhere. We had a standing, respectful standing in the Middle East. Right. We were the only country that was sort of, um, we were competing with Europe. Mm -hmm. And it civil rights as well. They do that, yes. yes. So, let me ask so you, let, me, let me ask you a quick, let me ask you a question and we can go deeper into um, Razor Shah's son, the Shah of Iran who's overthrown, uh, who, who largely expanded on his programs to modernize, westernize the country. I think Iran was estimated to be a top five economy at the rate it was growing within a couple of decades. Kind of reminiscent of like a, a Dubai of of its day, except with more civil liberties. Why do you think that the, the and here's here's an interesting parallel to today. So, as I'm sure you know, we have a lot of in our academic system, in our institutions, we have these. This is where it stems from this postmodern ideology entering, starting off in places like France. Um, largely in France and, and other parts of Europe, making their way into the American education system, basically neo-Marxists. This is where you get the yes. critical race theory from. This is where you get um, all these horrible ideas, intersectionality and, and uh, you know, all sorts of uh, other, even worse than Marxist ideas. Uh, those people, the intellectual class of Europe at the time, were vehemently against the Shah of Iran both his father and, and the son is overthrown. Uh, even though these two guys were westernizing the country, uh, taking back control over a, a Islamic clergy that was living in, in medieval times and uh, had no respect for women and um, treated women essentially like animals. animals. Right. Uh, Properties so of men. Where do you think that comes from? Well, people like Foucault who was, you know, reminiscent of this these these uh postmodern intellectuals in these in these universities supported the clergy and the ayatollah over the people in iran the, the shahs of iran who were modernizing the country and, and expanding liberties. where do you think that comes from um well you you are asking an iranian and i'm a historian mm -hmm. um europeans have always been uh have treated Iran and anything outside Europe, especially in Asia, uh, as colonialists. So to colonialists, especially the British and the French, uh, Iran had no right to be smart enough and to be independent enough, to be so educated, to be prosperous, to prevent their colonial uh, wishes in Iran. That's what they didn't want Iran to Iranian people to be educated and to uh, somebody who's patriotic about Iran to leave the country. You know, Reza Shah, uh, both Reza Shah and uh, uh, were against the Allies' military to occupy Iran and destroy the country, the economy that Shah had made on the Second World War uh, because uh, uh, they had to take care of the go to Iran and it, it didn't matter to them what 
that Iranians are human beings and they have the same rights that the British have, that uh, the women have the same, same right to be as equal as men, like the you know, Western women have, all they, all they look at and all they are concerned with is their own uh, colonialist um, you know, uh, wishes that they, they want, what they want to take from whoever is not within the borders of Europe. Or, um, you see, we did not look at uh, that we wanted, we are doing, we are becoming westernized. We looked at our own civilization, Iranian civilization. The civilization that we have even today, the young Iranians, go by thousands on uh, November 29th is the Cyrus the Great Day in Iran. And all these thousands and thousands of young Iranians were born and raised during this regime of anti-Iranian regime that they say, Cyrus the Great was never, that's, the Jews has made that story up. He was never in existence. So this, this kind of culture that Iranian women are against, and all these people go there around his very modest tomb and, and chant and sing and walk around it. And they, they have chanted, uh, Iran Batanemos means it's my motherland. Iran is my motherland. Cyrus is my leader. This is what these young Iranians today are saying, so doing telling it. these people, yes. And this is, so this is an important thing. Uh, because people yes. don't understand. So you have uh, Cyrus the Great, one of the, one of the most um, incredible and ahead of his time leaders in, in human history. Someone even our, our founding fathers um, looked up to was Cyrus the Great. Yes. Jefferson was a great admirer of his. I believe Washington was as well. Yeah, two issues from his proclamation of human rights, which is the copy is in British Museum. Mm -hmm. Two issues were taken by uh, Thomas Jefferson. Mm -hmm. One of them was uh, freedom of worship. Number two is freedom of uh, commerce, ownership, mm -hmm. exact words, freedom of ownership mm -hmm. from in the United States Proclamation of, of uh, Independence mm -hmm. that United States wrote. These two were there and then it became a part of the Constitution. Right, so property and rights and, and freedom property to rights worship, and freedom. which is basically yes. the foundation of society, is, is being able to exactly. be free in terms of what you can say and what you can worship and being able to actually own property in order to, to uh, preserve exactly. yourself and your family, came coming exactly. from Cyrus Grave Iran. That's Persian history. And then the people in, in modern-day Iran, especially the Iran is one of the youngest countries in the world, so the, the younger, the young people, a lot of them are under 35, um, wanting to basically use that as their as their cultural linchpin. This is our tradition. And then you have the Islamic regime in Iran who um, tries to undermine and uh, destroy the Persian history because it's not it's not Islamic, right? So that's kind of the battle, right? Well, you see, one of the things that I have learned from studying history is that, uh, normally, aggressors or you know people who occupy other people, they have a rule. The rule is, okay, once you occupy a nation or a country, you have to control the society. 
keep them under control. Mm -hmm. The only way to keep them under control will be to destroy who they are. Like Arabs, first, they weren't only uh, um, uh, pushing Islam on all these lands they occupied. They, they destroyed the culture that those lands, countries had, mm -hmm. and they uh, forced their own language. So they took their language away because they did not have the language to read and learn about their own background, their own history, their own culture, their own civilization. This is, this is a rule. I have, I have really gone through all the lines every occupation that every country has made throughout the history and have come up with the same thing. Occupiers have, the first thing they have done after occupying, they, they have taken the identity. I call it, it's a, like a birth certificate. They have taken the identity of the people from them. And then they have established their own culture or whatever they want on the people. Islam Shiaism has tried time and again to destroy Iranian civilization. Time and again they have tried, they have they have done everything they could. Even Khomeini, oh many, many times, Khomeini in his sort of interviews have said, well, so and so and such and such talking about patriotism uh, and uh, like Iranian love and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. There is no such thing. Islam comes first, second and third. Iran doesn't matter. He kept saying that all the time. Mm -hmm. And they have done that to Iran. They have tried to do that in Iran. All of these hundreds of years that they have ruled with the you know, support of the ruling occupying people. So um, they are still trying to do that because when they see these young people go in thousands at 29th of every November, they prevented them. They blocked the roads, they threatened them, but they still go and they pray. They, are, they talk about good thoughts, good words, and good deeds, Zoroastrianism. And they keep saying, you're nobody. This is my leader. And this is my motherland, my motherland, mm -hmm. they say. It's not yours. So the whole issue is that clergy in Iran are, have been trying to tell Iranians that you're nobody. Islam is the most important thing, and you have to obey what we say. And they have, they have not been able, because this generation is not recognizing them. At the same time, you see foreign policies, Western policies. Mm -hmm. Just the day before yesterday, President Biden and the three Western Europeans, Germany, France, and England, all got together, decided, okay, we're going to do whatever Khamenei wants. Forget about the people of Iran. Forget about all those women, lawyers and professors, highly educated, they're all in prison. 
the women who are in, 124 of them at this point. Forget about all those young men. The man, the, the, the young man who was, who would have gotten the gold uh, award from in, in, uh, in, uh, in, uh, in uh, what you call it, in, yes. The wrestling, right? They killed him. Yes, they killed him. No problem. It doesn't matter to them. Humanity, especially Iranians, what they want is to rule in Iran. Mm-hmm. And all of these stories about their, everybody denies. But Iranians, we know. I, I live in America. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can go online and read, the, see the letters of Khomeini to President Carter mm-hmm. and all the, at that time, State Department, members of the State Department, the people, they told, they told Carter, one of them, I have his name in, in my book. They asked him, he, said, he told the president that, oh, if we say Khomeini is, is going to uh, put women in, of Iran in hijab, for his anti-women and so on and so forth. This is unjust against Khomeini. But I have his, his correct total statement that he gave to the White House about Khomeini. But they helped him, Foucault, and at that time, the president of France, in England, they all got together. Okay, let's get rid of the Shah. Why? Because the Shah said, look, I will sell you oil, but I have a country. Mm-hmm. I have people. I, I want my, my country to prosper also. I will be your friend, your ally. You know, uh, there is a man, there was, he passed away last year. Mr. Miller, who was the State Department Intelligence Office, he tried to remove the Shah and replace Khomeini in Iran, uh, even with President Kennedy, during President Kennedy. And then Nixon, Nixon uh, said, no, 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 Shah is our ally, good friend, good man. Get rid of this guy, whoever that is. Nixon didn't go for it. Carter did go for it. When you talk about the people, like in the example you used, the Islamic clergy in Iran, destroy people, destroy the Iranian culture, essentially. Uh, destroy their link to their heritage and their tradition and, and their, their history. Um, seems to be like a really interesting parallel to what's happening today, except in the United States, for example, except it's not really coming from external forces. You have a... a like going back to the whole the academic institutions, which, as we said, supported uh, the especially on the uh, on the left wing, people like Carter, and then people like the the cultural Marxist, the professor class, supporting Khomeini, supporting the Islamists over a re- regime that was providing people with the expansion of civil liberties and modernization, all that, and then you have pe- the what we call the woke trying to destroy. American culture, uh, you know, the founding fathers are all evil and racist, trying to destroy that link. But what end, I, I don't exactly know, but it's, it is interesting that it's the same group of people. It's You can draw a direct line from the Foucaults and the postmodern intellectuals in France 
to the academic institutions in the United States and the wokesters all having the same goal. And by the way, to this day, as you mentioned, with um, with o- Obama and Biden, basically doing things that empower the theocratic evil regime in Iran, detriment of the actual people who watch these the liberties that we all enjoy. And, and so what is your... So you mentioned there's all there's a corporate element of it, with with respect to the Shah, um, people wanted um, those sorts of people you know wanted access to the oil and all that. Um, there's a, there's obviously a cultural element of it for whatever reason they're sympathizing with um, the Khomeinis of the world. Uh, can you go through and, and maybe as Khomeini was sort of uh, um, building up momentum to overthrow the Shah, who were the people in Iran? supporting him what kinds of people were they obviously some of them were islamists but not, not entirely uh what other people were supporting him and what was what was their rationale when the allies met in iran the three leaders of the allies uh churchill roosevelt and stalin met in iran and uh, they decided okay you know this is what we're going to do and then the decision was made that we would all leave the country. We have done everything, it's finished, and we all leave the country. We take our military out of Iran. The United States took off towards the United States, the military, but the Russians stayed in northern, northern Iran. They were, and they were pushing communism in Iran to a point that a section of Iran, a big, chunk of Iran, the head of a cat, we call it, Iran's map is like a sitting cat. So they, they were going to take that piece and they were, they were lying to the people that, uh, that you're not Iranian and so on and they are so on and so forth anyway. So they had a military in Azerbaijan, which they, are, they took a little piece of it at the end anyway, but they were pushing to take Azerbaijan and Iran, because the issue was go to Persian Gulf, access to warm water navigation to wherever they want to go, their military, okay? So what happened is that they stayed in Iran and they started a revolution, communist revolution in Iran. So it was was terrible, it was terrible. Um, So what happened is Truman, who had, Roosevelt, thank God, Roosevelt had died. Truman had become president, meanwhile. So Truman sent a message to Stalin saying, if you're not out of Iran in three weeks, I will return American military naval forces back to Iran halfway. And uh, Stalin pulled the military out in three weeks. That's what happened in Iran. So the Russians had to not but they kept the communism, the idea of communism, the brainwashing, even in Iranian military. I had a cousin who was uh, in the military and he became sort of communist in the military, which at the end, the group of communist members of the military were arrested and so on and so forth. Anyway, but Russia never, never let go of Iran. Uh-huh. Even during the communism people. So we had a whole bunch of communists in Iran. Uh-huh. And then we had all these young, myself included, young American and European educated coming back to Iran. Uh-huh. And every 
half of us, mostly, less than half of us, were kind of had gravitated to these lefty professors, mm-hmm. lefty universities like Foucault, right. who educated this, uh, he, one of them, Shariati, that was very famous in Iran, speaker, his father was a well-known clergy. He became educated in University of Tehran. And, and then he was sent to France to get his PhD uh-huh. in France on government or Pahlavi Foundation, uh, you know, uh, finance. Then he, yes, and he, and he gets brainwashed by Foucault. Uh-huh. Foucault becomes his prophet and he comes to Iran. And what does he do? He doesn't go on the pulpit. He goes, stands behind the, uh, you know, behind the uh, microphone and he delivers a speech to all these young people. She established, he established, he was a young man, good looking. He, he wore French clothes, suits, very handsome. And he spoke to all these young people. And his name was Shariati. He established a, uh, a society he called Red Shiaism. Red for communism, Shiaism for Islam. His philosophy and ideology of Red Shiaism occupied the minds of these young Iranians who were going to universities at that time in Iran. And he was on the podium all the time, every day. Then he got cancer and went to France, to England and died in the hospital of some cancer. You know what they said, the Shah had him killed. Then at the other hand, we had a group of terrorists, uh, outright communist terrorists. And he established an organization, Mujahideen uh, Khalq, the Warriors of Humanity. And Khalq means sort of uh, lower class humans, Khalq in Persian. So he established that organization and, and he created the Black Marxist organization. Uh-huh. Black, the color of Islam, uh-huh. Marxism. So this is another communist Islamist organization who did the same thing that this was this. And they bring the children, they bring, brainwashed children, uh-huh. little children who would go grab, hold on to somebody while they had a bomb sort of attached to their body and blow themselves up with that person that, uh, that the you know, leadership had asked. These were the children didn't know, I mean, these people had heartless, brainless, they were complete dictators. And so that's the atmosphere. Also at that time, the same time, uh, Soviet embassy, was always pleased to, to accommodate courses or whatever anybody, or finances. So we had these Islamist, Marxist, or socialist, um, you know, Islamists, right. all of these organizations. 
And then we had, at that time, Iran was a prosperous country. We needed um, people who do small jobs, like, you know, Hispanics in America. We needed Afghanis. Afghanistan was poor, hungry. So they would come and they speak Farsi. And they would come to Iran, get jobs, gardening jobs and sweeping, yeah, doing these kind of jobs. And, uh, and then uh, at that time, during the 1979, 1978, uh, at that time, uh, I was the managing director of the Department of Statistics and, and International Affairs of the Customs uh, Department in Iran. And I had a lot of young people. I was, uh, I was uh, uh, having uh, uh, the customs administration all computerized, everything under control, no more bribing or you know, corruption. Um, I had young, young men uh, who, uh, who were going to college and who were working for the government also, employees. And, um, and I had become like friendly. They, they kind of respected me, they liked me. I would listen to them. They were some of these people, some of them were communists, some of them were Islamists, but not all of them. A small minority, they were telling me, after work, they go to the church, to mosque, their local mosque, and they are given so many, so much money. And what they were supposed to do with that money was to go, uh, all these Afghanis who are standing on the street corners to be picked up for jobs, give those money to them to go march. $15 American money. Uh, march for Khomeini. March for Khomeini at that time. Not only $15 American money, it was 100 Taman, Iranian money. Uh, they, were, uh, they were also given a coupon for shish kebab meal anywhere. This is the people who marched, Afghanis that were paid by the mosque to go march. And they said, I was in the United States at that time for a month also. And I heard the media going, oh, the dictator Shah was doing, doing this, this. Look at all these millions of people. And then I was marching against the shop for Khomeini. They wanted Islam. And then I was so scared and worried. I'm coming home and my dad would say, there's nobody marching on the street. Yeah, in the midtown, downtown Tehran. Yeah, the Afghanis are marching. And you know, nothing like that is happening. And then I went home and I saw it myself. And then when I was talking, talking to my you know, employees at my department, and they told me that where the money comes from. So this whole thing was completely planned between the socialist communists, the, the governments of Western Europe and the United States. Right. And the Western intellectual class, right? The, the academic class, right? Yeah, yeah. The you know, sort of red Shiaism and, uh, and black communism or socialism all get joined together to remove the Shah, who was a patriotic man was not willing. He said, okay, I'm your friend, your you're, you're ally, I'll vote, I'll trade with you, everything, but you cannot destroy my country. So he had, he had to be removed like they removed his father. The, second, the first world war, the second world war, first they removed his father. They decided Roosevelt didn't want to remove the Reza Shah. He said, why? We have done whatever we wanted to do, and we have destroyed the country. Why do you want it? To... Churchill lied to him. Churchill told Roosevelt that, you know, this guy, he is anti-America, and he's dangerous, 
and he should not be in Iran. I know that. So Roosevelt said, okay, you do whatever you want to. And so it just happened that he was only 56 years old. He died. So, you know, um, what is in Iran has become Iranian identity. Uh -huh. It's like, I call it when, when this word discrimination, discrimination, you hear these days, you're in society, everybody said, oh, gender discrimination, racial discrimination, so on, the monkeys for that. Well, okay, you want discrimination, look how you, the Democrats, the intellectual, the uh, academia, the media, have discriminated against me and my culture. Okay. And because of what you want to do is that Iran should not be a civilized country. It should be known, we Iranians should be known as the regime that you have established in Iran. Oh, you're Iranian? Okay. Would you vote for Khamenei or Khomeini? You know, this is, I mean, the, the way they talk to you as if Okay, when you're lucky to be here, how dare you criticize, you know? It's, sometimes I feel like, all right, the, the reason, one reason I wrote my book was because I wanted to tell America, look, please, we're not this regime. This regime is yours, not ours. We didn't march for Khomeini. What percent of the people do you think support the regime in Iran? In Iran, uh, probably, Person, some years ago, the uh, student, uh, the, the university students, we were working with, and they underground, they took a poll. How many people? They asked friends, families, you know. Ninety-four percent of Iranian people hate the regime. Ninety-four percent do not want this regime. That's what the post does. But, you know, all these ladies, I wrote a letter and sent a copy of my book to the president of, uh, of EU, uh, uh, Madame uh, Vanderweil, Vanderweil, uh, who was uh, discriminated against by, uh, by the Turkish president, did not give her a seat to sit down. And, and then when she came back, she had a uh, conference and she attacked the, the men who discriminate against women. So I sent her a book, one of my books, and I wrote a letter and put it in the book. And I said, thank you for attacking a Muslim, you know, idiot man for mistreating you. I appreciate what you did. That was a good thing to do. But will you support Iranian women in prison also? <laughs> Iranian women who are begging for freedom, for equality, for their own self-respect as human beings, like you are. Why can't Iranian women be presidents in Iran? They could. Well, they were senators. You know, one of the women that I have in my book, uh, was a senator in Iran. He was a professor of law in the University of Tehran. She was the chairman of the International Women Lawyers Association, an Iranian woman lawyer. And she also was invited by the American uh, Women Organization many, many times to speak for them. 
in the Congress also. Also, in one of his speeches, he criticized United Nations um, uh, constitution, not constitution. Um, anyway, to why have they said that this organization, United Nations, is made for the uh, for the world countries and people to live together in peace and prosperity uh, in brotherhood. She said, where were the sisterhood? And she criticized in the United States Congress, she criticized that why does United, United Nations that talks about equality only talks about brotherhood, but leaves out sisterhood. That's, that was an Iranian senator. Of course, she died in 2000, in the year of 2000. But uh, this is who we are. We're not, we're not Iraqi or, you know, or Saudi Arabia or, go ahead. And this goes back to the point too, I think, where you see these sort of radical feminists in the United States who are on that the extreme cultural left. They have nothing to say about the Iranian women who are victimized, tortured, raped, imprisoned, sent to prison for, for uh, nothing basically, and then um, for exor or exercising democratic rights, um, and then tortured and raped and murdered in prison. They have nothing to say about that. It's almost like these uh, virtue signaling values are only for them, not not for yeah. for people in the, the woman Muslim countries. And in fact, when you ask them, they they express sympathy with with the uh, you know Palestinian terrorists, for example, and people like Hezbollah, and they they create this because one group is is. Uh, you know, they deem Islamists, uh, people who want to take the world back to a medieval version of Islam as weaker. So they, they would side with them over places like Israel, over places like the um, Iran under the Shah, which, by the way, was the first Muslim country to recognize Israel, like 50 years before we're, we're seeing yeah. that. A lot of do it right now. So it's, it's a very, I think at the heart of it, it's a very sick, anti-Western, anti-liberty um, value system that that you see permeated with like you said these like sort of uh liberal institutions in the west going back from carter and foucault and all these kinds of sort of people um i want to ask you a couple more things uh, the uh first off with here let's let's yeah let's I'll share so who who's currently supporting the iranian regime um both well I, internally it would be a you know, the, the sort of religious, uh, extreme religious people. Um, uh, who, who's for them externally today? Is it China? Is it Russia? Is it, you know, certain European powers? Um, and then what can the United States do? Uh, it, it won't happen under this administration because they're, um, you know, this is, this is an administration that was filled with people who brokered the Iran deal to basically empower the people of Iran. So what would, what would the next administration be able to do to further decimate and validate this regime? What's your perspective on that? Well, I, I have a couple of questions from the world, mm -hmm. uh, which is, you know, the government today, um, our government, United States. Uh, one of the issues is that, um, why is it that uh, they can criticize um, in America, criticize, discrimination. Why is it that they can criticize uh, Christianity or Judaism, but they worship Islam? Why? 
Why is it that Islam is so respected here? And that lady who was a member of the Congress, with, who covers his head, her head. <laughs> yes. But she leaves this open. <laughs> to me, this is really, really sick. And then she, she I, as I understand, she came, she was saved from Africa. Victorian rule. I mean, being, people being killed. And then she comes to America, she becomes another dictator, and she wants to change my life. I fled my motherland from dictators, came to free America, a country that I can be me. I, the door is open for me to become anything I want to. I came to this country with $200 and a child. And today I'm fine, perfect. And I have fought for human rights the last 20 some years. Once I kind of, uh, so it's, it's, it's so sick when I see the lady in Palestinian lady who talks about her mother's bed in Palestine and how unjust is Israel. Okay, I have news for her. Her mother and all of those Palestinians are fed from the children, the food of Iranian children. It's the millions and millions and millions of dollars every year that goes to Palestinians, all those bombs and, and missiles and everything that Iran buys and hands to, to Hamas, all that money that goes to uh, Hezbollah, all of that, she is completely involved with all of those. It has nothing to do with it. The only thing against Israel and it's Palestinian. What? It's Palestinian who's robbing Iranian children from those daily food. And you have no shame. You take the money. It is Islam. You know one of the people, not one, a group of the people who helped Khomeini to come in and was the broker? Was the Palestinian leader, the one who died. Arafat. Yes. He, and two weeks after Khomeini took over, he came to Iran without a passport. And when they said, where is your passport? At the airport, they said, how dare you to ask passport for me? This country, I made it. And then he got $60 million in cash before he left Iran. And Iranian Islamic regime is paying Palestinians ever since for the last 42 years. They're supporting Palestinians. Well, they're all country starving. Yeah, yeah. While the children of Iran are starving, they're selling, selling chewing, chewing gums on the sidewalks of Iran, have no schools to go to. They sell flowers, they clean windshields on the streets. That's Iranian children. And this lady has no shame. Talks about Palestinians, let me tell you about Palestinians. So, I mean, the people who talk, they are dictators themselves. Absolutely. This lady, this lady wants America to be like Palestine. She's lying. She would call herself a feminist. A lot of her would call herself a feminist while she empowers the, the biggest violators of human and female rights in the world and supports them. Of course. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Uh, so what, what do you think, so what do you think is, is the way that this regime ultimately topples? How, how do you think there's anything, what do you think it would take? Uh, we have provided ways and means. What we need is stop paying money. You don't want nuclear bomb, Iran? Well, don't give them money to go buy everything they want to make the bomb. Okay? Four years Trump didn't sanction, no money. Wait, they didn't have the money, so they didn't do nuclear bomb. The Democrats come in control. What do they do? The first thing is give up the money. And go we'll talk to them. And Khamenei knows how to deal with the Democrats. Right. He knows them. He knows he can get anything he wants to, and they'll give it to him. Right. So don't give them the money. Keep the sanctions, for God's sake. And give the Iranian people 
a communication system without the regime of Iran being able to dismantle it. That's a good point. Let, let the Iranian people organize. They want to, but they do not. They don't. They don't have any means. And just to, to last week, a few days ago, what they did is to uh, to stop all tweeting in Iran. And Microsoft is their buddy. They do whatever they have given them total control. All of the Silicon Valley, they are the regime's bodies. They're together. And so what we have been asking for, I wrote the letter to President Bush during that time and said, why don't you just provide Iranian people a way of communication, some kind of email system or whatever it is that they can organize. They can't. It's a big country, vast country. People were all over. Uh, they haven't had water in in, Iran, in southern Iran. Not because they don't. They, they, it is the south and there is no water. Yeah, there are rivers, but you know what they have done? China doesn't want to drill for oil where water is by the Persian Gulf and the rivers. They want to spend less money to drill for oil, and that's where there is no river nearby, no water nearby. So what do they ask? And the regime says, "Yes, sir, reroute a river." <laughs> This is what's happened. They are completely destroying Iranian geography, Iranian children, Iranian women, Iranian uh, workers. It's, 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 um, I do I cannot believe any human, anybody who calls himself or herself human to know these things and empower the regime constantly. Mm -hmm. yeah, the point you bring up about Twitter is interesting. Um, yes. Yeah, because so with Twitter, the, uh, so, so you're saying they, they, the Iranian regime shut it down for the people in Iran not to be able to tweet. And this is one of the things that anti-censorship people have been complaining about is, you know, Trump was banned from Twitter, but the Ayatollah Khamenei can, has a Twitter account. That's okay. <laughs> That's not an issue. And, and no matter how many times people brought it up, you'd think out of like shame, you'd be like, okay, we gotta, you know, we gotta get rid of this at least. Nope, still up. It's still up months and months and months later. Um, so, and I, I think that you bring up a really interesting point about the communications apparatus and stalling that. Uh, Elon Musk is working on Starlink, which is something I'm very bullish about. I'm an uh, investor for SpaceX, and Starlink's part of SpaceX. And so basically it's gonna be able to beam internet from satellites coming down. So I think that might be a way of finding, because you can't control that if it's coming from the, from the satellites. It could be very, um, at least I don't think you can. And if you can, it's gonna be extremely difficult. And I don't think that the Iranian uh, regime has the infrastructure to do that. So when you're able to beam satellite down to the ground, it's way harder to control communications. Um, so I think that's a really important. What are you, is there anything that gives you hope? Oh yes, oh yes. Look, we've, 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 this will be the last time the Shiite clergy ever exist in Iran. This is the end of Islam in Iran because we, they, we keep kicking them out. They kept coming back with another group of occupiers. This time, there is no chance. And I know that the day that this this book uh, government of the United States ends. That would be the beginning of Iran freedom uh, from the Islamic regime and Islam, period. That's what it is. I don't know if you saw it or not. Uh, a couple of years ago, they, because they couldn't get Iranians um, uh, sort of uh, against United States and Israel and the, the young Iranian universities, they were all pro, they came and painted. The, the, the gate to university, there, there are two, two big gates connected. 
And so they came and painted a flag of the United States and a flag of Israel next to each other, covering the whole entrance and exit of the, of the university. All these kids came and went around the edges. And I mean, instead of going like this, they went around the edges and out the corner of the doors. And I sent that to everybody in America. I said, you see this? This is what who Iranians are. It's not the regime that you keep identifying us with. That's not Iranian. This is Iranian. They went out of their way not to walk on the American and Israeli flag, which was painted. They walked all the way around it, not to desecrate it. Yes. So, yes, they did not want to disrespect the flags of America and or Israel. They went all around. I mean, instead of 10 steps out of the door, they took 100 steps out of the door, avoiding to, to uh, and if some of the, you know, people, regime people were there who jumped in the middle, you know, walking on the flags, and the students, Boot them. They boot them. This is, this, I mean, but in this country, when you when you talk to people, oh, you're Iranian. Oh, okay. What do you think about the regime? Well, you want to know as Iranian what I think about this regime? It's not my regime. It's your regime. Look at that. So uh, when when they talk about oh, they you know colonialism, imperialism is gone. Oh, it's not gone. It's still here. It's different forms. It's uh, it's you know uh, the same the same system that is now pushing in America. It's a combination of the media, academia, and uh, uh, and uh, Silicon Valley and the Democrats. This is the group that is now destroying America. They did in Iran. Now they are destroying America. Very easy. I can, I'm writing another book about what's going on this about this country. I look forward to that. That's um, such an enlightening conversation. I could go on for hours about it, but I think so many people are going to be enlightened by that, being just like that, being educated about Iranian culture and history and what the actual situation is like and um, what the power structures are, who's behind them. Um, truly, truly, really fascinating discussion. Um, where can, uh, and it, well, I should mention as well, I, I agree, I, I'm, I'm very hopeful as well. You know, the good will prevail, uh, the good people of Iran will prevail. Uh, let's just hope that we can get great, courageous people on our side. I think it'll come. Incredibly important culture and has been for thousands of years. And, uh, you know, it's it's, uh, it's about time that we support the people who are descendants of that culture, not not the people who are trying to stifle it. Where can people find you? Alliance of Iranian Women. Uh, they can always contact me. My daughter is my uh, uh, my boss. <laughs> and uh, and so she uh, she always follows up. Okay, excellent. I'll, I'll, have, I'll have your uh, your book in the, in the podcast notes link to it so people can learn more. Well, Mata, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. And uh, I'm sure everyone's going to enjoy this one. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to give some of <laughs> some of the words in my heart <laughs> and talk to my uh, fellow Americans. How are you? Thank you. If you enjoyed our show, please click subscribe to stay up to date with our YouTube channel and podcast and give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts so that we can keep delivering guys some great content. Thanks for listening and we will be back next week.
We're going to talk about the issues that really matter. Our country, our economy, the Fed, QE, GDP, BTC, NFTs, AOC, the CCP, Cardi B, Ow. Yeezy, Yellow Socks, Iran, Joe Biden's dementia, Come on, man. and probably sex robots. We stand for a free and open debate and exchange of ideas. And if you disagree with anything we talk about, you are a racist and no better than Hitler. What? Let's get started.